I'm Elena Salinas, and this is the Women in Tech Show, a show where women in tech talk about technology and career development. Today, I had a conversation with Tabitha Young, a senior product designer at Khan Academy. Tabitha studied graphic design at the Rhode Island School of Design, and we talked about what graphic design is and how it is affecting technology. Tabitha also gave an insight on how products are developed at Apple and Khan Academy, the technologies she uses, and her workflow as a designer. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you would like it too. Tabitha, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. So uh, you studied graphic design at the Rhode Island School of Design, which is among the best universities in the United States for design. So I'd like to know what sparked your interest in graphic design? Um, well, my two great loves when I was a kid was um, like drawing and writing. Um, so my Asian parents were like, well, you're definitely not going to make any money doing art. So if you have to choose a lesser two evils, please go for a career in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did for a while. Um, in high school, I became chief editor of our school newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found that my favorite part of the job was actually working in InDesign and like setting the stories with visuals and experimenting with various ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I wasn't doing like homework or extracurriculars, I was playing around with HTML and CSS and LiveJournal and like designing things on my own. And I didn't know there was like a job for this, um, mm-hmm. but I knew that it was more art leaning than it was writing leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially when I applied to colleges, I applied to all of these like liberal arts focused universities like Northwestern, Amherst and Williams. And at the last minute, I decided to apply to art school. Um, mm-hmm. So RISD accepted me. Um, and I had a lot of arguments with my parents, but I finally convinced them it would be a good idea to let Mm -hmm. me go. Um, And so when I was in college, uh, that's kind of where I really started getting introduced to the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, My cousin was a graphic designer at a famous ad agency in New York, um, which for a long time was the ultimate dream of like most graphic designers, you're at an ad agency. Mm -hmm. Um, But at RISD, I saw all of the interesting creative work that these agencies were also doing, like not just in posters and branding and advertisements, but also like installations and websites and exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like James Jean's product campaign specifically as a moment where I recognized how broad graphic design as a discipline was. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it like, it fills entire spaces, like it can create this whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a field, I re- realized how broad it was that it, you see graphic design examples everywhere. Yes. Um, it influences so many people's interactions with the world um, and mm-hmm. with the, without them being aware of it. <laughs> yes. And that idea of shaping the world in that almost like invisible way was like really interesting to me. So that's why I decided to major in. Mm-hmm. And also when the, the times we were growing up, the new mediums like started appearing such mm-hmm. as mobile and web. Like, yeah. So that's why, like you mentioned, the, the other design agency was more focused on um ads i think was it like mm-hmm. print print yeah it was a lot of it was print and branding so that's like the tradition that was the traditional view like things that you yes. see in, like mad men and stuff like that that was the definition of what graphic design did at the time mm-hmm. uh but i think since then a lot has changed um the digital medium is huge for graphic design now um mm-hmm. and i think because visuals are such like a like a raw essential part of a lot of people's perceptions of the world. Um, I feel like it can be applied no matter how the media changes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's pretty exciting. It was pretty exciting to me. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are also some of the higher level aspects that are encompassed by graphic design? Uh, the higher level aspects that are that are encompassed? Encompassed by graphic design. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. marketing, a print, like what yeah. are other? Yeah, so graphic design, you could apply... I mean, graphic design at its core is basically like visual communication. Okay. And that can be applied to any medium from like flyers and posters, Mm -hmm. traditional print-based ones, to like entire uh, spaces, um, to wayfinding systems. So for example, like subway systems, uh, Mm -hmm. like the New York subway system and stuff, like that's a feat of graphic design. It's called wayfinding. Mm -hmm. Um, Like posters, um, or sorry, like movie posters or installations, like websites, um, apps, all the branding collateral for that, that mm-hmm. all falls under the umbrella of graphic design if it's if something needs to be communicated visually. Mm, okay. Do you also look at um, known human studies of perception, like grouping things together and rules like that? Or is it Yeah, more- so this oh, was okay. a, a fundamental part of um, visual design education was understanding perception and how we would design around it or taking it into consideration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any ways as a graphic designer to evaluate the effectiveness of visual communication? Yeah, um, so the main thing that I look at uh, mm-hmm. is to f- figure out whether the intention of the designer matched the outcome of what people end up experiencing with the final design. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's plenty of design in the world where you're like, like maybe this is like really strange or, uh, like mm-hmm. what was this designer thinking? Like maybe it looks awful to you or like it's interesting or different. Um, mm-hmm. if the designer intended for that reaction from the get go, like maybe the designer was trying to be like really experimental or provocative, or maybe use the design as an art or commentary piece, yeah. then in eliciting such a reaction, the design could be considered effective. Mm-hmm. But if that wasn't intentional from the get-go, uh, and in fact, if the intention was to pro- provoke some other reaction or send a different message and it got interpreted poorly because mm-hmm. like, maybe the designer didn't sufficiently consider the context that might affect the viewer's perception of it, whether it be like cultural, political, spatial, or otherwise, mm-hmm. um, or the most common case, if like a designer didn't have the skill set to execute the design well, then that renders the design less effective. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of bad design you see is from designers whose intentions just didn't align with the outcome. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by a bad skill set? Like, what would be some bad aspects? Yeah, so, I mean, a big part of visual design is training your eye to be able to see what good design looks like. Um, mm-hmm. So, so some, do you do that by uh, reviewing well-known good designs? or That certainly helps. Uh, it gives mm-hmm. you a template for... Um, like how other designers have successfully handled uh, problems that you might be facing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of it is just like trying to surround yourself with beauty or like being aware of like the intention again of the designers who design certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that helps a lot in kind of training your eye. And um, and then after that, it's a matter of honing your skill set to be able to accomplish like the same levels of Mm -hmm. uh, execution. Um, so that like you would be able to, like maybe you would be able to uh, mimic the greats in some aspects, but if you choose not to, then it would be a choice rather than an incompetency, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Are there any specific um, blogs or sites where you can find these designs or is it mostly whatever you encounter or textbooks or mm-hmm. how, how do you start seeing more 
good design to train your eyes? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of design books. Uh, recently, we've been looking a lot of like Edward Tufte, a lot of his, um, he, he does a lot of data visualization that's really fascinating and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, for me personally, I really love going to like design inspiration or collecting uh, beautiful pieces that I see from around the web. And mm, okay. I think with design, you don't have to just look at graphic design pieces. Like I get a lot of inspiration by seeing textiles and pottery or like oh, yes. bits of nature and stuff like that. And you kind of collect these templates of aesthetics yes. and incorporate them into designs depending on what the project is. Yes, definitely. For example, I was looking at um, this Pixar videos about mm-hmm. how, how they work behind the scenes and they were talking about the movie Good Dinosaur, how mm-hmm. the texture for the dinosaur, they got inspired by looking at a plant. I think it was uh, some sort of cactus, but I don't remember correctly. I was just like, they were talking about getting samples from nature. Yeah. And then it's not even an animal, like they took the the skin for the dinosaur from a from a plan. So it's definitely very similar to what you're you're saying. Not because you're designing for computers, you have to just be looking at apps and websites and mm-hmm. yeah. Very for sure. And actually like if you just look at apps and websites, it's more mm-hmm. likely that your stuff is gonna look like bootstrap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but you know if you diversify like where you're drawing your inspiration from, uh it becomes easier to create something kind of interesting or new. Mm-hmm. And like like we talked earlier, as you mentioned, graphic design is now pretty much everywhere. It's not only in print. So mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, tech companies have uh, graphic designers or people involved in design. Mm-hmm. So you worked at Apple a few years ago, and mm-hmm. I'm I just like to get some insight about the design process over there. What what was it like from conception to having a fully animated UI? Is there such a thing at big corporations? <laughs> yeah, um, especially at Apple. So mm-hmm. I was really lucky to be on a great team at Apple that let me have my own project for the time that I was there, and I got to treat it like my baby. So I was oh, on the iCloud team. And so the process for conception was basically my team and I sitting together and being like, okay, so this is the data that iCloud has that we can leverage to create great mm-hmm. experiences for people. Uh, what should we do? <laughs> so we like brainstormed some ideas and then I was able to run with one that we got excited about the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the process at Apple differs from every other company I've been at the time and since. Um, so conventionally the design process at this point when you like have an idea is to go wide with like lots of design explorations and trying oh, okay. lots of iterations on the design and then experimenting with uh, various user flows to capture the main experience. Mm-hmm. Um, is this so- mostly on... Pencil or do you? Yeah, so yeah, I would start with like paper pencil and then I'd move to like gray box wireframes and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, For most designers at other companies, uh, like this stage is filled with a lot of what we call wireframes and sketches. So this Mm -hmm. is where you see a lot of like paper and pencil like boxes and black and white comps. Um, But at Apple, I was actually taught to make things as real as possible as soon as possible. Uh, So we'd have that stage, but we'd like try to move past it like as quickly as we could. Mm -hmm. Um, So a sketch at Apple, like quote unquote, (laughs) was typically like really high fidelity, like those really beautiful deliverables that looked like it could be built and shipped right there. Uh, But it'd be like just a sketch. (laughs) It would be like just a direction to try. Yeah. Uh, And the reasoning behind this was because so many elements of visual design, like colors and such, Mm -hmm. influences the like information hierarchy and experience that you can't get 
Like mm-hmm. you can't see just by drawing a bunch of boxes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like so many designers at Apple like worked ridiculous hours because it was standard to get to this insane level of fidelity with like every iteration you did. Yeah. Um, and they're but, definitely known for really good design. Yeah, they set, for sure. they set the bar really high for all <laughs> yeah. the other companies. We yeah. definitely have a lot to thank them for uh, in terms of the design industry, just for like making uh, yes. it clear like what was possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like the then we would kind of go to like again you would you'd iterate and you'd like try a bunch of different directions and then kind of narrow it down and then go wide and then narrow it down again mm-hmm. um, until you kind of got to a final result. Um, so are, and, are software engineers involved doing this process, or is it mostly the designers? Um, so Apple had a waterfall process in my time there. Um, oh, I think okay. they still do. Uh, so that meant that like the different disciplines were pretty siloed. Uh, so for new features, design and dev were pretty separate. Design would come up with an idea for a cool thing, and then we'd work on it uh, and iterate on it. Um, we'd come to a point where we'd make like animated UI for it. So mm-hmm. at that time, we used um, Keynote, actually, which is like a surprisingly powerful prototyping tool. Wow. Um, <laughs> I didn't yeah, know that. That's awesome. It's really crazy. Actually, if you look online, uh, there's an ex-Apple designer named Linda Dong, and she has a bunch of tutorials on Keynote um, oh, wow. with animated UI it's really cool um, yeah. most people don't know about it but like that was literally my starting prototyping yeah. tool and it's very uh, re- reachable for everybody that has yeah. a Mac yeah oh yeah, it's yeah Adobe or anything fancy you can just get started on Keynote yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> so, pretty cool yeah it's super accessible um, and so design would basically like create these fully animated UI presentations and make it into a pitch deck to, mm-hmm. to illustrate what the feature was um, and we maybe like check in with the dev to be like, is this like feasible? Yeah, <laughs> or, like how feasible definitely. is it? Uh, yes. But for the most part, it was like pretty separate. We wouldn't like incorporate the devs until much further in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd make the pitch deck, we'd show it to the higher ups to see if we could slate it for an upcoming release. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, uh, then I think like dev and design communication got a lot more tight mm-hmm. while they were getting built um, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the designers also work a lot with the user experience like they think about the user experience while while they're coming up with a design yeah um i think it depends on what kind of designer you are like if you're an interaction designer you're more likely to kind of think of the full flow um Mm -hmm. apple had a lot of specialist designers too so sometimes there would be like primarily visual designers who would uh basically skin the ui or like draw icons for like a certain feature mm-hmm. um and then production designers who would focus on redlining the designs for the engineers or like creating pixel perfect assets and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh but um i was lucky to be able to work from the beginning uh, to the end of the process too what's redlining uh, so redlining is like um if you're a dev and a designer hands you a spec, mm-hmm. uh, that's like, oh, like there's maybe like 10 pixels of padding here, or like uh, basically oh. it tells you all of the dimensions um, and yeah. coding inf- uh, information that you need in order to, to get the product looking like the spec. Mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you mentioned, at that time, you got to work on something basically from the very beginning and eventually you got to present to Eddie Q. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, yeah. so for some context, Eddie is the senior VP at iTunes and iCloud at the time. Um, yes. And that was the ultimate buy-in we had to get for the project to have a chance to ship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So presenting to Eddie seemed like terrifying at first, uh, but it ended up being a lot of fun. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it's basically like uh, us in a room. I like walk in with my manager, and uh-huh. his room is filled with his team. All these like clean-cut older people who are like regarding our presentations really seriously. Wow! Uh, and then Eddie comes in with like basketball shorts and a polo, and he like <laughs> sits in his chair and he's like, "Okay, what are you guys having me today?" Like oh, he's wow. super chill. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Everybody's like, so serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's super like loud and conversational. Yeah. Um, so we all pitched what we were working on. Um, mm-hmm. So the for the new feature product that I worked on, um, mm-hmm. I think. The main objective that we had as designers was to really sell the execs on this experience or story mm-hmm. um, so they could like imagine themselves using it in their own lives and, and justify mm-hmm. putting it uh, with the next release. So we wouldn't just be like, okay, so here's a new feature. It has a B and yeah. C. Like we yes. would tell this whole story of how this feature product would be used on someone's say like typical Saturday night. Um, I can't mm-hmm. say what the thing I worked on was because of Apple's NDAs, but the gist mm-hmm. is that we want them to feel like this feature could exist right now and it's solving a problem that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to kind of like walking them through the main experience of the product or feature, um, mm-hmm. we'd also be responsible for kind of like framing the problem statement that this feature or product product was solving. Um, okay. So we'd like bring up market research and data to support the problem. Uh, we'd uh, explain our hypothesis for why our solution would solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, Eddie and his team would uh, ask us kind of like the hard questions. They'd be like, you know, why should Apple be the one making this feature? What happens to this or that part of the experience? Like, mm-hmm. is it worth including as a first or second party experience or like interweaving with the iOS itself? Um, mm-hmm. We had to like take into consideration all of these potential consequences of the feature. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a good, it's a good test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so senior executives at Apple most are mostly interested in hearing the full story and be able to relate to that story. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think they're interested like, at a high level about what this feature does and like what it adds mm-hmm. uh, to Apple's experience or its brand mm-hmm. or, uh, Basically, we want more compelling reasons for people to like buy Apple products. And so yeah. we wanted it to be compelling to them. But you wouldn't really talk specifics like, oh, we're adding this panel on the top left. Yeah, no. Uh, whatever. <laughs> okay. No, that's irrelevant at that point. All we want to yeah. do is kind of like sell them on the, the potential of what it could be. I see. Mm-hmm. So after working in a big corporation, you went on to work at Canon Academy, which mm-hmm. is a uh, Really popular nonprofit in education. Mm-hmm. So, were you using Khan Academy when you were growing up? I didn't know about it growing up. I kind of wish I did. Uh, <laughs> Would have yeah. saved my butt in math classes. Um, I know. I, yeah, I actually didn't discover it until college ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this was actually after my internship at Apple, um, and I had a great time at Apple. But mm-hmm. a personal goal of mine when I was in college was to uh, to make a career that solved problems with social impact that was like meaningful to me mm-hmm. um, and I mean education was like very compelling to me for that reason um, yeah. there are fewer things I believe in that can empower someone as much as education can mm-hmm. um, we get I think we're of- I think we're also in an important shift in education with all yeah. these resources available now for sure yeah um, we get testimonials all the time of people who like maybe hit rock bottom or high school dropouts who like turned yeah. their life around because they began to learn again at their own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite story was of this kid who gave us his testimonial in Humans of New York. Um, mm-hmm. So he was like born in Egypt and when he came to the US, he had to help his dad with work instead of going to school. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it was her, his home burned down. Um, and wow. so his family had to like move to a shelter. And he got through high school by literally like watching all of Khan Academy's videos, um, even when he was literally like homeless or like living in the projects. Um, and eventually he transferred from cl- community college to Columbia University um, wow. <laughs> on <Yeah>. scholarship. <laughs> wow. So he, he's That's like great. doing amazingly now. Yeah. Um, and more recently, we got the story of this woman named Sultana in Afghanistan. Um, mm-hmm. And there, I think, they forbid a lot of women from going to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she lost her access to education at age 11. And she received threats of, like, acid burnings if she continued to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. And so she used Khan Academy to teach herself since so she couldn't, like, go to a real school. Um, and she's which trying to get really college good. in the U.S. Yeah, yeah which, is, which is awesome. Yeah. Like, the, the problem is huge and the potential impact is huge. And that's... What I fell in love with more than the product itself it was more just the potential of the problem we were solving. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And also, I um, so the Pixar video, I saw it at Khan Academy, Pixar in a Box course. Oh, cool. What I noticed that's really cool is that it's, it's basically like a game. Like you mm-hmm. get points and I don't know, I just love the experience. It's really, really engaging experience. Oh, I'm Yeah. And in your... Time at Khan Academy, has the workflow been different for designing compared to a big corporation like Apple? Yeah. Um, workflow for design at Khan Academy is definitely a lot uh, scrappier. Our team is a lot smaller, um, oh, okay. which is nice because we get to influence more of the design process. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it's a lot less like red tape and politics to ship a feature, which means that we can move and iterate fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have like an... Uh, I think something that we don't have um, that like a bigger corporation has is like an army of like production designers pixel aligning everything or people doing like quality control and all of the design things that go out, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit tough because um, because the design team is quite small. That means that uh, we got to like kind of stay lean and we're kind of stretched across lots of different initiatives. But mm-hmm. on the plus side, like because we're still small, we get to kind of work on a feature or product from beginning to end. Um, and I think because we're smaller, um, I think we can take more risks, uh, or we're like, we're in a good position to take more risks, um, Mm -hmm. which is a fun place to be when you're a designer. Mm -hmm. Is Khan Academy used more by uh, younger audiences? Yeah, I mean, eventually we want to be used by everyone, but our main target right now is K through 12. So Mm -hmm. yes, primarily younger. So are there any important aspects of designing a product that's used for a younger audience? Yeah. Um, so I think the number one principle we try to abide by is to make the design seem friendly without being patronizing. Mm-hmm. Um, learning is sensitive for a lot of people, especially those who are struggling with particular subjects. And so we want the design to make it really clear the steps you want to take to learn uh, material, but we don't want to make the user feel like worse or like belittled or anything um, or yeah. cold. Um, for younger users, like in our elementary school and middle school demographics, um, mm-hmm. we find that a lot of like color and incentive mechanics and gaming things are really compelling. Yes. Um, <laughs> even, even for me, that was, that was really, I love that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's been kind of interesting. I think more and more we're looking at principles of game design and not just like gamification. Yeah. I think we have what we have right now is like a light layer of gamification, but what we really want is to create like a feedback loop with learning that's kind of as engaging as any game. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's an interesting design challenge to take on. 
Mm-hmm. And at Khan Academy, what are the tools and technologies that you use the most? You mentioned at Apple, you were using Keynote. <laughs> yeah. Khan Academy. <laughs> Keynote oh, again? No. <laughs> um, Keynote, well, we do use Keynote for presentations, but not for okay. prototyping anymore, as oh. much anyway. Um, the design team, uh, we used to use a lot of like Photoshop at Apple. Um, mm-hmm. and right now, I think, as with everyone else in the industry, we use um, Sketch for our UI stuff, which is uh, great. And... Um, there's Is that a couple, for the wireframes? Yeah, so not just wireframes, actually, for like mostly for the, the visuals and the user interface. Um, mm-hmm. So all of the elements that are uh, static, um, you can do in Sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, what we use prototyping tools for, so those would be for like the animated elements, but instead of um, sitting back and passively watching an animation of an interaction, you would be able to like go to your phone and like tap on a fake version of the app and go through it as if you're going through a real version of the app. Oh, nice. And um, it's mostly uh, pictures that make it seem like you're going through the workflow or how does that work? It's partially pictures, but it's also, also just like animations. Uh, so oh, okay. there's two tools that we use on the team. Um, so one tool is Principle for Mac, which came out fairly recently, I think maybe a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Principle for Mac is kind of like a state transition-based prototyping tool where you could put various like elements of a screen uh, together and indicate like, okay, if you tap this button, like this animates in or something. Like, oh, I and see. it it feels like a real like full animation transition, um, not just, um, yeah. And Mm -hmm. so those are really good for like canned animations and for like just getting through flows and making it feel real. Mm -hmm. Um, Our team is also using a lot of Framer. Um, So Framer is a code-based tool where you can make prototypes um, and it's really, uh, it's a little bit, I think the the learning curve is a little more difficult if you don't have like a coding background. If you do have a coding background, it's like pretty easy to jump into. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, you can prototype more sophisticated animations and interactions, um, in framework. Mm-hmm. By coding background, do you mean like HTML and JavaScript or any coding background? Uh, mostly JavaScript. Oh, okay. I see. You have like a huge leg up. <laughs> okay. And mm-hmm. we've been talking about animations and I'm curious if you've encounter a situation where there's just too many animations that mm-hmm. that make it impossible to use it to use something mm-hmm. or it's like overloaded with animation have you seen anything like this or yeah um we try to avoid that where we can because we're supporting like slower connections and stuff too <laughs> oh i see uh yeah. yeah but i think it's it's a careful balance um mm-hmm. animation should always serve a purpose. And mm-hmm. this is something that I think most people don't realize, which is like when you're animating something, like you have to know exactly why it's there. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have the throwaway answer of like, oh, like surprise and delight, but. Or it looks fancy and cool. Yeah, or it looks fancy and cool. But yeah. I think it's a careful trade-off um, to make sure that it's not detrimental to the rest of the experience. Like, for example, mm-hmm. um, if you have like a huge congratulations screen or something that fills up your screen, but yeah. like, the user really wants to get to the next problem or something, then that's annoying, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant trade-off of making sure that you're balancing the desire to do cool animation stuff with um, what makes sense for the product and the user's mm-hmm. goals. To not uh, affect a lot also the user experience that they're mm-hmm. getting. I see. Yeah. Cool. And at Khan Academy, you started um, as a product designer. Mm-hmm. And 
within a few years, you got to a senior product designer. Mm -hmm. How did you gain more responsibilities in a relatively short period of time? Well, at Khan Academy, because the team is smaller and you're making so much more impact, you level up by necessity because the designers, or sorry, the responsibilities you take on are so much larger than you would get if you were a designer in a larger company. Mm, I see. So, uh, like, I have friends who are at, like, Facebook or Google, mm -hmm. and because there's so many specialist designers mm -hmm. there. Um, like at Apple. That you like mentioned. at Apple, too. Like, because there's so many specialist designers there, it's it's harder, like, you don't have, you get to hand off your project at, like, different stages of the process. Like, you mm -hmm. don't have to be, like, responsible for it holistically all the time, depending mm -hmm. on what kind of designer you are. Yeah. Um, and you also have to go through, like, way more politics and, and stuff to, like, get anything done. Mm -hmm. um, and so that just makes growth, like, a lot slower because, mm -hmm. you know, you have just so many other, like, barriers to get through that mm -hmm. are not even necessarily related to design. <laughs> They're more just, like, a result of the company processes. Yeah. Um, so at a company... That mm -hmm. sounds a little bit like a assembly line. A uh, little bit more. A little bit more assembly line than yeah. at a smaller company. But at a smaller company, because, like you are responsible for so much more inherently. Like, you gain a lot of that experience much faster. Yeah. I also saw something similar in the that Khan Academy Pixar in a Box video where mm -hmm. they're showing different people working. For example, one of them was, like, just design the movement. Some mm -hmm. women running, and then they hand off that to the next person, and that's mm -hmm. going to add the hair, and the next person is going to add texture so it's more of like narrow assembly narrow assembly line narrow specialists yeah so it's, so it's just a different style like some people might be obsessed with animating hair and mm -hmm. things like that so i don't know but it's interesting to know yeah i mean there's value in both um yeah. so like at larger companies like the reason you can maintain such a high bar of quality is because you have people whose time mm -hmm. whose like whole job is dedicated to polish Yeah. Um, at a smaller company, you don't really have that. So mm -hmm. sometimes, like, you can tell when a company is, like, a little bit scrappier, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because there's so many priorities to juggle, mm -hmm. um, which is exciting, but also, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. So. And you get more exposure to more areas of design. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. So how did your responsibilities change? Were you getting just more responsibilities or...? Yeah, um, so responsibilities changed insofar as like a lot of being a senior designer is mm -hmm. starting to become a liaison for design with other product teams, like with PMs and devs, and mm -hmm. being able to articulate and defend design decisions on a higher level, like oh. outside of just like, oh, I made like this visual decision because of X. It was like, I think this product should exist because of X. It's like user research and stuff like that. Oh, um, and because design and like development and PMs and other parts of the product team have different objectives, um, you have to learn a lot of interpersonal skills um, to like take into account like mm -hmm. other teams' objectives um, and come to decisions about what you should do with the product. Mm -hmm. um, so those kinds of challenges are like are newer as a senior product designer. Mm -hmm. Did you um, have to do anything to improve your interpersonal skills? Yeah, I mean, 
I'm a very shy person. Um, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm good, I think, on like one-on-one situ- or like small group situations. Oh, okay. Um, but I like would much prefer working on a design like for long hours by myself kind of thing and then oh, coming up okay. for like feedback. But um, when you become a senior product designer, um, you're in more meetings because you're going to have to be mm-hmm. like communicating constantly with people and not just communicating, but like you have to learn how to, uh, make other people feel heard and listened to, but still try to like convince them maybe that like a design decision is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very delicate, uh, interpersonal skill that, mm-hmm. um, that you kind of learn by trial and error. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, so you that- basically learned it you became aware of the skill and you learned it at work. You didn't uh, like try teaching something or got involved in Toastmasters. <laughs> I did actually. Um, I started doing that a little bit more, but that's more for public speaking. Although I do um, have to do more of that too. Oh, but public okay. speaking is like how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess more interpersonal challenges are like, how do you give someone feedback if they're mm, like blocking your work? Uh, or how do you... Um, make everybody feel supported and welcome and and are inclusive of a diversity of opinions mm-hmm. um, without like read, alienating anyone. Mm-hmm. Do you read about those things or have you mostly learned it through observation of successful people at meetings or things like that? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a mix. Um, I have a mentor at Khan Academy who I really look up to, uh, Mei Li Ku. Um, so she um, has to do a lot of like the design evangelizing and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think... We have a huge culture at Khan Academy of like trying to be really kind and inclusive and making sure all of those interpersonal skills are accounted for. And mm, um, okay. I've done some reading and stuff, but I think a lot of it is like you really learn a lot just by working with people who are giving you honest feedback about yes. um, how you're coming off and like what you can do better. And as long as you have that trust um, in your company or on your team, mm-hmm. um, it becomes easy to like spot your blind spots quickly um, and improve on that front. Mm, I see. Yes, definitely. I think that's very true. Mm. So last question, Mm -hmm. more of a miscellaneous question. If you you could teach one design concept to every single software developer and engineer, what would it be? (laughs) One design concept? Um, I think the main thing I would want to, try to express is that okay so I feel like software engineering is really good at like incremental changes Mm -hmm. um so it's really I think especially for like a good software development process there was a lot of like reviews and checks in place to make sure that um I guess like when you're implementing a new feature or something that you're doing it in a way that's like really responsible and careful Mm -hmm. um the problem with that is um, or like not that the problem, sorry, that's a really good thing. But the difference between that and like a design process mm-hmm. is that design um, is more suited, I guess, to take holistic changes into account. So not just incremental changes, but mm-hmm. like given a user's needs, like maybe would mean redoing like a whole feature or product. Um, and those larger kind of changes are more difficult to articulate all the time um, mm-hmm. because like the process of software development and design is, is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to encourage software developers to sometimes take into account that like when you want to make uh, big changes, mm-hmm. 
and maybe there isn't always like evidence for it that could be consulted right away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the the job of design to like take those larger changes into consideration. Um, mm-hmm. And for software developers, like sometimes it's cool to get out of the incremental improvement mindset once in a while mm-hmm. and take those risks too. Mm-hmm. Um, to make big changes. Yeah, if, if, if user research um, deems it necessary. Yes, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I think Are, that's, that's like fundamental. But I, mean, I feel like that's the cause of like most points of friction between mm-hmm. design and devs. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think also the animation aspect we talked about. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen um, UI bloated with animations, unnecessary animation. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, um, and also, I guess that's another thing. I know you only asked for one thing that I can impart, but also, mm-hmm. like, um, another thing is I feel like devs um, are focused a lot on, like, the cool new technology or animations or the features. Um, yes. But I think it's design's responsibility to focus on like the people and making sure that you're always taking the people's needs into account, even though yeah. that doesn't always mean like the cool thing gets shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a balance. Like I feel like both design and dev can like learn from each other on how to balance on, on those fronts. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, Tabitha, it was great talking to you today. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. It was awesome talking to you too.